right. I am sitting here with Rachel Maxwell. Rachel, how are you today? Great. Thank you for letting me come in here and talk to you today. Oh, thanks for coming out. So, Rachel, you're at Trauber Middle School mm-hmm. in Oswego, Illinois. And let's just start with your timeline, where you went to school, first job, second job, okay. third, seventh job, etc. <laughs> Seven, well, um, I grew up in Rockford, which... Um, is an interesting place because it's like a small town um, in big town clothing. So is that where Sticks is from? Cheap Trick. Cheap Trick. Yeah. Same thing. Close. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so I grew up in Rockford, but the advantage of that was my band director in junior high was um, a teacher with Phantom Regiment and a DCI judge eventually, and I was a townie then for drum corps. And our band program and our orchestra program in our public school is really strong at the time. And I was very, very lucky to have a wonderful start. We didn't start till seventh grade. And some people think, oh, that's crazy. How could you ever? But by by eighth grade, we're playing the same thing eighth grade bands do everywhere. You just get caught up. And um, at the time, I remember thinking my high school program wasn't that great. But I look back and my high school director was super old school. Um he would wear the funky winker bean suit when he conducted. We all wore the, the you know, the uniforms with the uh, the Navy uniforms. But he did all tons and tons of transcriptions. And anything written in 60s, 70s, early 80s, he played all the standard old lit. So I was very fortunate that I came out of that program with a ton of literature knowledge, which I didn't even realize at the time was happening. Um, and then I marched in corps while I was in high school in the first part of college. And that, of course, has a huge influence on, on anybody who, who does that experience. You just start understanding uh, the value of repetition, <laughs> the value yeah, of consistency, yeah. um, that you can do things that you don't really think you can do. You can go a lot further than you realize um, as far as just resiliency and toughness. So that was a really good experience as far as just pushing me. So then when I went into college... And afterwards, I never worked that hard again. So I knew I had more in me always. So um, I went to Illinois State, and I was very lucky. Joe Neisler was the horn teacher down there at the time, and he was trying to build the studio. And I didn't apply to too many places. I I just wanted to go there because I had several friends down there, and it seemed like a good fit. And Joe was just so nice and a very um, nurturing kind of personality. So I thought, oh, this is going to work. This is going to be a good thing. But for some reason, I got it in my head that it. I told him, and I've told other people this story, I told him that I auditioned at Madison and that they had offered me a full ride. So then he countered with a full ride. And if he had called the horn teacher at Madison, that guy never would have heard of me. I, I don't know what, <laughs> how 18-year-old Rachel thought this was <laughs> something that was going to... But it worked. So I, um, I went to school and I had a really nice scholarship, which I was always grateful for because... I grew up uh, in the restaurant business. My parents right. owned a restaurant. So the joke was either do very well in college or you will also be in the restaurant business. And I knew I, I did not want to do that. That's a hard way to make a living. So then I went to ISU. A fantastic experience. Um, I was exposed to really real band people who knew literature. Um, Steve Steele was my director. And he um, I ended up copying a lot of his style as far as... Um, not drill and kill, but just getting in and digging and not being afraid to pull things apart. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and just the breakdown of pieces I really learned from him pacing um, some literature tastes I know I picked up from him so that was a really positive experience I also played an orchestra when I was there and um, Dr. Block the orchestra director is so expressive and he's kind of a personality should we say and so that really inspired me as far as letting your real personality out on the podium and people adored him because he was so eccentric and kind of crazy on the podium and really very emotional on the podium so watching that and seeing how people responded to that was interesting to me so I get out of school and I'm in a panic attack because, you know, you have to be employed and I'm freaking out because it's June and I don't have a job. So my A-type personality is, of course, stressing out. And I applied to tons of jobs and I was the runner up for a couple. And I thank God every day that I didn't get get those jobs because it wouldn't have been the right fit at all. So things work out the way they should. So I was very, very lucky. I got um, a position with West Rose School District um, doing elementary band. So I did fifth and sixth grade. Um, at three different schools, and then I would go over and help with the marching band and just sort of tag around the whole program and, you know, do as much as I can. And I envision myself staying in West Aurora long term. I I love that program. It's an old historic band program. Their library is spectacular. You know, I just felt like I learned a lot of really good band chops there. Lila Fagan uh, was one of the directors of the middle school at the time. She's who hired me. And... I learned some just great lessons off of her right away. I I mean, I just remember distinct things she would say to me. Like um, she said, no matter how, how good a kid is or how valuable they think they are, never, never beg a kid to stay in band. Let them make that decision because they'll come back and burn you. You know, no good deed goes. And at the time I thought, what? You want us to keep every kid in band. But that advice has served me well, just because the emotional element that comes in with when you, um, start bartering with kids and their involvement in band, Um, just little things like that. Just her expectation was for her middle school and her elementary kids was exceptional. And so right away I knew, you know, these kids can do way more than people think. Um, So I I envisioned myself, you know, staying at West and maybe moving into the middle school or doing something at the high school long-term because um, doing elementary band is exhausting and, I did three schools, like I said, tons of kids, and I I was completely fried at the end of the day. So the people who do elementary band all day, I I don't know how they do it. It's like I look at stay-at-home moms with all these little kids, and I'm like, I can't do that. I look at elementary people the same way and think, God bless you, because, you know, what they're doing is so critical, but it is exhausting because every kid comes in pumped up. It's band time, band time, and you have that all day long, and it never lets down. So Yeah, so so for those people that don't live in that – elementary band world what what's the challenges of it scheduling facilities facilities are a fantastic challenge and you get very creative uh, i remember doing classes in a boiler room i did a class in a kitchen and the lunch ladies would be working on prepping food for the lunch at the elementary school while we were sitting two feet away from them trying to have trombone class and i'll never forget when the kids looked at me and he was like I'm going to get sick. I'm like, what's wrong? He goes, the peaches. There's so much peaches. I got to get out of here. <laughs> I was like, what? And the lunch ladies were very annoyed with me that we were interrupting, you know, their chopping time and they just talk over us. And, you know, I know everybody that's taught elementary band has taught in a stairwell or yeah. um, between the storm door and the inner door. That's like a perfect little office. 
And then also you get the pushback on the pullouts. You're pulling kids out of class and uh, some teachers were supportive and some resented that. So that was difficult because it puts you at odds with your colleagues. And also a student is sick. They forget an instrument. You don't see them again until maybe a week later because you only seen them twice a week. So the pullout thing is is very, very difficult. Um, also, you might have one kid who's a practicer and one kid whose horn has never left the building and they may be in the same group. How do you reconcile that? You know, how yeah. do you keep those kids moving ahead and keep them interested? So it was tough. It was, yeah. but it taught me all my instruments because I, you know, you take your secondary classes, but you don't really learn how to play like you need to. Um, so I would just stay, you know, a page ahead of the kids and I'd play along with all my instruments. Um, side note, I would not play with the flutes. I'm hideous on flutes. <laughs> I would, I, I can finger all the notes, but you don't want to hear me try to blow into it. That seems like an instrument that if you start on flute, you could go to something else. But if you start on something else, flute it's the devil. Is, is just yeah, maybe I, not an option. Right. I can play a really nice D mm-hmm. or a, a single note, but to move between notes, it's just yeah. something that I can't I just got blown on the wrong end you know (laughs) that's awesome (laughs) that's awesome so that kicked my butt as far as I learned my instruments um I learned you know what what was hard on these instruments for kids because I was also a beginner really on most of these secondary instruments so I've picked up really quickly going over the break at first is hard it's challenging it's not it's frustrating so these kids don't want somebody on their back about they want somebody who's there understanding Yep, this is hard, man. Let's dig in on this together kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So I'm at the Fox Valley Music Fest, I think it's called that, all the high schools do. And because I was always sort of a band stalker, like if somebody was having a concert or the festival or high schools in the area, I would just go and be the fly on the wall and listen, listen, listen. And I ran into Marjean Pappas and I just knew her by reputation, of course, and very, very successful well-known middle school director at the time. And I had heard that there was an opening in their district. So I went up to her to sell her on a friend of mine who I knew wanted to move into the area and wanted to get a job up in the suburbs. That was, he's down in central Illinois. So I walked up to her and I said, Hey, I know the perfect candidate for you. You got to pull this guy in for an interview. I know he's trying to get back up here. And um, that led to other kind and we sat and talked for, a long time, if any, if people know Marjean, and she would agree, loves to talk band, mm-hmm. just like I do. So we just, you know, started rattling away talking band. And she says, well, why don't you apply for the job? And it had never crossed my mind because I always thought, oh, I've, I landed the perfect job. So I thought, well, you know, that is interesting because it was part element. Oh, no, it was part junior high and half high school. So I thought that might be a good position. And Oswego was growing at the time. So... I applied, and the thing that got me the job, she says, is in my interview, she asked me about literature, and I said, well, Anne McGinty rules, and her and Anne McGinty are good friends, and I did not know that, so she loved that, (laughs) so she was like, ding, star next to my name. You brought a red balloon in. I brought a red balloon in for her, yes, exactly, and a a flute, you know, duet or something, because she's a flute (laughs) player, and um, Anne is, so... You know, I just had the right experience. They were looking for a brass person. They were looking for somebody who had marching experience, um, who had done younger kids. And it was just, you know, I don't use this word often, but like serendipity that I ran into her. It was the right fit. I got that job and I've been there for 23 years. And people will ask me, you know, do you want to move over to District X or do you want to do high school? Or do you? No, I'm 
at Band Disneyland. Mm-hmm. I have the schedule I want. Um, I have as good a support as I think anybody's going to get in this state with the condition of uh, budgets and how school is scheduled. We've really been able to tweak it year after year and get it to be what we want it to be. I We don't have any roadblocks. Um, nobody's working against us. The parents are supportive. The kids are into it. Um, I cannot imagine a better mm-hmm. teaching situation in Illinois. You know, I've, I've seen some things that get a little bit fancier, you know, done in Texas and such, but this is as close as it's going to get to something like that. So I'm real, I was really lucky um, that I got in that job with Marjane and the position was, um, all, there was three directors and we would start the day at the high school team teaching because we had marching band during the day then. Then we would travel to one junior high and do a couple classes. Then we go to the other junior high and do a couple classes. And then um, we'd split up and end the days at either the high school, Trauber for me and Thompson for the other director. And then we carried on that schedule for a few years where every performance, every rehearsal at all three buildings, all of us went to. Mm-hmm. And obviously that's difficult to sustain. Um but it also was really like throwing you in the deep end. Like, here you go. You want to be a band director? We're doing band. And it was just band, band, band all day. And just having that high school experience and the young kids every single day was was really good for me just to get my teaching chops uh, whipped up into shape really, really fast. Mm-hmm. So. so how does that you know, happen. You said you've tweaked some things. You said mm-hmm. it's it's banned Disneyland. Um, you know, and, I, and I'm digging a little bit on it. Mm-hmm. Was it was it truly easy to get those things going? Do you think it was a part of your personality? Do you think it was um, some of the work that Marjean had done prior mm-hmm. to you? Is it just uh, it just well, naturally evolved? How does that? Well, happen? you know, and people look at our program and think, oh, well, you have this, th- you know, you have this great scheduling. But this has been a 23 year process. When I came in, um, there was one seventh uh, and eighth grade band, and then one period for beginners. And we started about 70 beginners that year, and then my seventh and eighth grade band had about 70 kids. So it was a good size program. But the instrumentation was was terrible um, in the seventh and eighth grade band, and and you know Marjean wouldn't be upset by me saying that because of uh, the former director had started brass kids, and so those numbers were very weak, and just we weren't retaining balanced instrumentation. So by the time the kids went in seventh and eighth grade, you know I'd have sixteen flutes and one trombone. So, um, the first year was pretty much just doing everything in the way that it had been done for years before that kind of uh, maintaining and figuring out, all right, how does this system work? Um, what's going on here? What is the culture of the yes, we go band program? And Brian Wiss has said this for years and it's a very, very wise piece of advice. And I hadn't heard it at the time, but looking back, thank God I followed it. Um, and Larry Stoffel has said this to me too, evolution, not revolution. Mm. And you see a lot of people going to programs and they think, oh, now it's going to be my way. And they burn, you know, people, they, they fall on swords and, and lose battles that aren't worth losing. So the first year I basically, if Marjean said, this is the way we do it, then this is the way we do it. And that was really an excellent safeguard for me. So if I, you know, of course, make new teacher mistakes and act ridiculous and say stupid things in front of the class or make decisions that parents are like, eh, 
she really backed me up and she really helped me not get burned by some stupid things I did. You know, nothing horrible, but just rookie stuff. And started, gave me space to be able to look back at myself and be like, oh yeah, here's how I should have handled it. But she would kind of back me up to parents and help me. So eventually, um, within a year, because we started uh, doing sixth grade beginners that year, they had had fifth grade pullouts for years and years. Marjean had done those after school on a stipend for years. So she would teach until seven o'clock every night. Well, finally she hit the wall and said, I, I can't do this anymore, which who could? So she went down and looked at the programs in Houston and studied what Harry Haynes was doing and how in Texas, they usually start sixth graders in like instrument classes every day um, and was just looking at that format. So my first year there was the first year of going to sixth grade beginner band where we saw the kids daily. We saw them in like instrument groups. Um, and so it was an experiment on her part. And so there's a, you know, a little pushback, but she had established this tremendous culture where people would trusted her. She had played at Midwest. She had gone to the world's fair. She'd, you know, so she had street cred with mm -hmm. the community. So they trusted her. I was a nervous wreck because I had never done, I was thinking, how am I going to teach all these brass kids at once? And I, I had no idea how it was going to work, but it worked out beautifully, amazing. What would happen is three of us would teach um, at the same time and we'd split up. We had the space or we'd just create a space. One, Marjean would do woodwinds. The other director would do brass and I would do percussion or we'd rotate her at my school. I would do the brass. Somebody else would do the percussion. And we had band at the same time, but we just find spaces. Well, we retained a ton of kids, like almost all 70 of those kids stayed in band then. So then my numbers suddenly double. So the very next year, we split into a seventh and eighth grade band. So that created one more period I had to be at at Trauber. So we were doing before school sectionals and then, you know, this these two bands plus a beginner band here, beginner band at Thompson. So then we... Um, I cut out like one period that I was going over to Thompson so I could cover what was going on. Now, at the time, we had complete autonomy on our scheduling. They just said, you're the three band directors. This is when our classes are scheduled. Figure out what's going to, you know, there was none of this like travel minutes and are you being compensated? And do you have, we just taught, I mean, it sounds like back in my day, you know, like <laughs> get off my lawn. Uh, we just covered was covered and never entered our mind that, well, I don't have a full lunch period off. We we're just like eating the car. We got to get over and mm -hmm. because we were really focused on. It's like being on tour. Yeah. And we were so focused on how are we going to grow this program and make this work? Because Marjean had a real vision for improving and growing that program. She's very driven, which is a great model for me um, because she m made me realize, you know, everything goes back to the podium. Everything if you want it to happen, you're the one that's going to make it happen. And so that work ethic she had really pushed us. So we were able to, all right, I'm going to stay over here this hour and cover this class. And then I'll be back over there fifth hour, you know, and now that would never fly because principals want to know where everybody is. And, you know, it's much more um, formal now as far as schedules and that sort of thing. So over a few years, um, it kept growing. There was uh, two bands at the high school for a long time and they would meet at the same period. So she would do the top band. I would do the second band in the choir room. And um, every day the percussionists would 
run to the band room and try to get all the good equipment that they wanted and then bring it back to the choir room. And then her percussion would run to my room and steal it all back. And, (laughs) you know, the struggles of the second band kind of thing. But to me, it wasn't a second band. It was my high school band. So I didn't have this. I had nothing else higher to compare it to. I just heard them in the other room through the wall. So that band did really well. And it was a good chance for me to play a lot of high-end three, grade four literature and just kind of get my conducting chops in shape because, you know, you come out of school with basics, but you don't really know how to conduct a band so that they'll actually follow you (laughs) or do anything. It's like student teaching, and then your first year teaching is student teaching 2.0. Exactly. And, you know, you're not conducting to a recording. (laughs) So, like, you know, that's the thing that my student teachers, they'll give a downbeat or do something, and the band won't do anything. And they turn and look at me like, like they're holding a magic wand. Yeah, like, I put wh- batteries in it. What's right. Going on? Why aren't they playing? So I learned how to do that stuff. Um, and then by two, that was 95 when I went over there. And then by 2000, the program had grown large enough that they needed um, an additional director. So I moved out of the high school at that point. And it was a good time for me. I had had a baby that year. So I was like, this kind of works not doing marching band anymore sure. and doing all three schedules. Because during May... We wouldn't be home. We'd be at ba- at school till 10 o'clock for every night for two weeks. You know, and everyone can relate to that. So it was a good time for me to do junior high. And so I was still doing junior high, traveling between my building and another. And the program just kept growing because our beginner program was doing so well that we would retain so many kids Um. You know, in the word of mouth, it was very grassroots because everybody knew somebody who had a kid in band in Oswego. Uh, it was a small town. When I started teaching, I think we had, I, I just saw a census thing the other day, 6,000 people in town. Now it's 36,000. Mm. There was, I want to say, 3,000 kids we served in the school district from surrounding communities. And now we have 21,000 kids in our district. So at that time, everyone knew everyone and a lot of word of mouth. So tons of kids were doing beginning band. We were, you know, doing about a hundred kids a year in beginning and those kids were staying. So eventually then I had a full sixth grade, seventh grade, eighth grade band. Then our sixth grade band was getting so big, we couldn't accommodate them anymore in at the same time. So we started splitting up. Okay. This year, uh, woodwinds will be one period. Brass will be a different period. So then we could split those classes because they were getting so large. Um, and we kind of maintained that for several years and we were able to move some sectionals to lunch times and just, you know, each year we'd kind of do it different, like what was working. And at the time we went to three middle schools um, and then eventually four. And now we're at five middle schools. So as we grew, we kind of developed too. what works in this building, what works with their schedule. And we used to do everything all the same. We can't do everything all the same anymore because the numbers are different in the buildings. The, the cultures are a little different, even though it's the same district, but I'd say about 2000, 10 or so I ended up being full-time in my building and since then the numbers have exploded so now we have a ginormous eighth grade band and I've struggled with how to approach that um two seventh grade bands and two sixth grade bands Hmm. and so it's every single year we try to do something better like every year I'm like okay what about the program could we could we tweak? Could we get better? What, you know, is the schedule exactly what we want to do? Are, are the kids divided up the best way to meet their needs? Are we reaching as many kids as we can and teaching them 
what they need to be taught. Um, are we able to do things for the high end kids with the schedule? So every year the schedule has been a little different every year, you know, just our setup of how we do sectionals or test it, it's changed. Um, because the program I have now is you wouldn't recognize from the first year I was there to now. It was always very strong and always very supported. And we had the community and school support, but the structure, every, everything's different. Mm-hmm. Everything's completely different now. But that's happened inch by inch. Yeah. Every single year we change something. Well, that's one of the reasons I asked you to come on here was, you know, the, the success you've had with your program. Mm-hmm. The band sounds fantastic. And also knowing about the program growth, you know, yeah. so it's, it's great to hear about the, the how plus, you know, community. Um, and you have you to know. be patient. You know, people will be like, well, I've been in this program four years. And I'm like, well, you know, um, I've hit times in my career where I thought this is it. This is as good as things are going to get. Do I want to do something else? Do I want to, you know, about year 11 or 12, I think I hit that where I was like, do I want to do admin? I got an administration degree thinking maybe that's the direction I want to go, you know, even fine yeah. arts administration. And then I did an internship and realized I have no interest in just doing discipline all day. I want to sure. pick band music. So um, I was glad I had that degree, but um, it wasn't appealing to me to go that direction. And then even I think about five years ago, I feel like our program got a little bit reinvented. And, you know, I was in my 20th year teaching where most people think, well, you got to establish it's a downslide now, but I feel feel like the last five years, our program has gotten significantly better. Um, our numbers are continuing to go up. Um, just the support we have with community members, because now I'm to the point where I'm getting uh, banned grandkids. I have several kids that have gone through my program whose parents I had. Good God, I can't believe that. <laughs> so, and then that's where you're supposed to say, oh, you look way too young for that. And I say, yes, thank you. You look way too young. It, yeah, it's, exactly. And, um, but I, I feel like. I got to start this whole thing over. I'm sorry. No. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, five years ago, I, I kind of remember being a little burnt out and being a little depressed about the program or just, am I wanting to do the same thing over and over again? And deciding I've, I've got to amp this up or change something or I'm just going to be bored. And I feel like I really started digging into band culture much more. I'd always been a band nerd pretty hard. Like I always went to people's concerts and picked their brains and saved their programs and like looked up all those pieces afterwards and um, went to all the conferences always. But I feel like something changed about five years ago where I, I really decided I wanted to really start mastering my knowledge of how to put the best literature with best practice and still have it be a musical artistic experience. So I've just, I feel like my bands have gotten a lot better in the last five years because I've, I've made some musical decisions that I can't believe I wasn't making before, Sure, but, but I'm like, Oh, thank God. I finally got to this place where I'm a lot calmer. Okay, It might just be old age, but I used to just feel like I had, I was pushing, 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 and I still am pushing, but there's just a sense of calmness now I feel when I'm working with my groups that I never had before. Why do you think we get that like that? I've, I've certainly had that. Um, I've had friends that have had that, like literal, what feels like, I'm, I'm not a mental health person, but what feels like depression within the yes uh position within the field 
and just these these lulls and then sometimes you come to school you still got to put on the happy face mm-hmm. for the kids mm-hmm. you still love what you do right but there's just you, sometimes you get to this point where it's like I, I feel done. What next? You know, right? What's the I, next I'm, I'm step? Done. And I'm not saying you know anybody feels like they've mastered something. Right. But you just you just kind of feel like well, and um, to we're me, lost. What do you do? Right. Is to me is I cannot stand to just replay the same year over and over again. And I maybe hit that where things were very similar in the literature I was playing, the events we were going to, uh, the quality of the band. It was very consistent, but just sort of the same things for about four or five years. And I think just that sameness is exhausting in a way because there's nothing fresh. There's no new goals. And I started just wanting to say, I got to snap out of it because I got to last 10 more years or 15 more years if I'm going to do this and I'm not going to be dead weight. You know, I I have to be effective. Um, But I, you know, we're being judged by everyone all the time so i think we push so hard all directors push 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 because no other academic area is um getting the public scrutiny that we do on a concert you know everybody in that audience has an opinion about literature we selected or how we um prepared the kids or how how we speak in the microphone during the concert or the concert went too long the concert's too short you know everyone has an opinion in that audience and they're they feel very comfortable sharing it (laughs) and Regular teachers, I know, experience burnout, but they're, it's a different kind of pressure. They might have standardized scores they have to hit and that sort of thing, but they aren't in that public arena of performance. And it's one of the few areas where we're really colleagues with the kids when we perform. They're not doing it alone. We're not standing off to the side and saying, okay, good luck. Now it's all up to you guys. You know, we're sharing that experience with them. So I think the pressure of that year after year, and if you're in those, and if there's a certain sameness, I think that just grinds on people because it's an exhausting schedule. And if there's not something to look forward to, new goals, new projects, a new way of doing something, I I think it just wears people out more than anything. Do you think you can have a successful program without spending all of the extra time? Well, my mother and my husband would say I spend way too much time at my job, but I, compared to other band directors I see, I don't think I do at all. Um, and that's one of the reasons I picked really focusing on middle school. And people say that all the time, though. I needed to have a life be- besides band. And I, I mean, I love band. And, you know, my family will vouch for it. I'll sit with the headphones on my computer listening to band music. And they're like, what are you working on? I'm like, picking music. I'm so excited. And they're like, oh, leave her alone. She'll be there for hours. You know, yeah. to me, I, I genuinely love band music and band. Um so it's as much a job and a hobby. I enjoy it outside of school sure. too, but I have other things. You know, I have two kids and um, all the things that come with having two kids. You know, they have lives that have to be driven around in games and recitals and all that. So it helps put some perspective on priorities. Um, my family, me and the kids are really involved with horses at a competitive level i think that you know that sounds kind of weird but it's such an a different thing than music that the horse world has no idea i'm a band director sure. they hear that and they're like 
that's a weird job. Well, I can really, I've seen Seabiscuit. <laughs> that's and of uh, well, parts of it. I saw the part where the kid's standing at the end and then it like jumps over him. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm, it's Free Willy, I think. Anyway, I've never. <laughs> Seabiscuit, Free Willy. But it's, it's same thing. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Same, same, same vibe. But it's something that. <laughs> You know, it's a it's an activity that I've loved since I was a little kid and always wanted to be involved with. So I thought when I got out of college, I'm like, I'm an adult now. I can choose how I spend my money and I'm going to choose to spend it on horses. Um, And that's the one benefit of being a grown up is you have to pay for your own horses, but you get to pay for your own horses. So um, so that's something that was always important to me. And it's do you have a horse? I have had several horses, okay. but right now we're we're in between horses. We're, okay, we're, we're, <laughs> I'm so fascinated by the names, as many people are. What are their names that you've you've encountered? Okay, well, our horses um, have um, like official show names okay. because they're all fancy, like purebred, blah blah, fancy stuff. But we they all have barn names, which are just their nicknames. So our last horse we had was ridiculous, Rowan Mees Hugs and Kisses. Okay, and it what it it indicates. Um, her breeding, like Roe and me, was the tag of the farm sh- that bred her, and then um, the kisses was from her dam, and then they always take the name from like the dam sire somehow, and so you can kind of figure out the breeding of the horse off their name or where they came from, or there's sort of a tag on it. I'm nodding, but I have no clue what you're talking right. about. Right, so. and then so so then she had a bar <laughs> name, but they always have these really funny, and my husband makes always makes fun of it and he's like what's that one's name trotty mctrotster you know and he loves to tease me about the horses but it has been such a good thing for my mental health to just when i go to the barn i am at the barn and it's like when you're in the middle of conducting something and you're really in the moment or playing the state of flow when you're riding is very intense you literally cannot think of anything else because you're in such a concentrated concentrated state of communicating with this horse and what your trainer's wanting you to do. It's literally the only time where my mind is completely clear except for what I'm doing right in that moment. So that's been very, very healthy for me. And it's been fun to have share that with the kids like that. I raised kids that can be around animals and get dirty and go to the barn all day. And why don't you go help do the stalls, you know, and not be fussy about things like they'll just be barn rats and, comfortable with that or they're comfortable going to concerts and dressing up so it's been good for us um our family is a huge pop culture fan nerds like okay. you know like the whole marvel um current movies tv series we take that stuff very seriously at our house so <laughs> it's and that's a good escape too from the band world is that we have other things that we get really excited about as a family is um like the geek nerd culture sure, is pretty sure. heavy for us, which I've been excited about because I think as nerd culture has become more mainstream, it's made band way more mainstream for the kids. I've seen that in my school where they don't really get much put. I mean, I'll hear it once in a while from some kid will give somebody a hard time. But overall, it's kind of becoming it's cool to be the nerd who does all the clubs yeah, and does band yeah. and is into, you know, the sci-fi channel because everybody kind of is now. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. become more mainstream. So I, I feel like my kids at school that are quirky and different and, you know, like normal junior high kids just in that awkward mm-hmm. seventh grade boy stage, it's more recognized, I think, just in pop culture in general where you see TV shows and movies and... um 
it's kind of like the rise of the nerds, you know, that's, and, and so I'm excited about that because it makes things that are valuable to people, not, um, something that they're made fun of for. Sure. They're supported. Well, and, you know, especially with the internet and everything, everybody's got a community they can, right. can be a part of. I can't think of anything in recent time, and, and maybe just because I don't have my ear to the ground enough, um, I, I can't think of any of our kids here that have been made fun of for being in band. Right. Um, a- anything like that. I'm right. sure there's something going on with it, but right. I, I don't think... I, it's I not that you. in-your-face kind yeah, of thing, like where the jocks are making... Because... Um, all the jocks are in band. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. You know, and we have it's enough. Not like a John Hughes movie from the no, 80s. No, right, know? right. Um, yeah, no one's Ducky, but they are. But everybody <laughs> loves Ducky now. So, and the thing is, um, at my school in particular, I always tell the kids, "Who's going to make fun of you because everyone's in band?" You know, yeah. we have it's last like saying year, your mom to your sister, right? Yeah. <laughs> so last year we had 425 kids in our band program grade six through eight, and we have a thousand kids in the building. So we have, you know, half of the six, 60% of the sixth graders are in band and about 40% of the eighth graders are in band. So who are they going to, you know, and all those kids do sports. All those kids are cheer and palm kids. All those kids are in clubs, out, you know, activities like martial arts and such outside of school. Um, they're the kids that do everything. So, that stigma, I think, I don't know at high school as much, but at junior high, it's kind of just expected that everyone is cool with doing everything. Mm-hmm. So, and I love it when the kids come to school in their uniforms or their cheer outfits. And I look out in the band and like every third kid has, you know, their youth tackle football jersey on or their, you know, cheer outfit because I'm like, yeah, we get every kind of kid. Yeah. And that's some, and parents say that all the time. Uh, at recruiting, they will say to me, "Well, does this conflict with sports? My kid does sports. You know, can they do band too?" I said, "I want the sports kids. I want the kids who have been on a team, who have had a coach, because they know how to follow directions. They understand team mentality. They understand that they might have a role that's not the star all the time, and they understand <laughs> that if they don't wear their full uniform, they get benched. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and yeah. so, like, they have to come with black socks. So." I, I love the, the athletic kids. And I also feel like they they kind of understand how to use the physicality of it. They catch on to things very quickly um, because they have been in a, in a situation where they've been coached in a physical sense. You know, And I tell the kids all the time, if I had to pick between band and horses, if somebody said, you know, you have to pick sports or band and horses and band, which would you pick? I'm not sure I'd pick band and mm. I'm the band director. So I'm not going to say that to a 12 or 13 year old, you got to give up soccer or who am I to tell what, sure, <laughs> you know, sure. I feel like I would, you know, I can't make that decision myself as an adult and that's my job and no one's going to love the Trauber band more than me. So if I'm not making myself make that decision, I'm certainly going to support kids doing as much as they can. Sure. So let's talk some nuts and bolts here. Okay. And let's pretend um, you're giving advice to some new teachers, somebody first in, in the job. Okay. And, you know, what I often hear from band directors, they'll say one of the hardest parts of our job is selecting appropriate music for mm-hmm. the ensemble. What is your process for that? And if you could time travel back 23 years or so. Okay. You know, if you made any mistakes with the music selection process that oh, first yeah. time, you know, what what would you do differently? Oh, well, 
So two part question. What's sure. the music selection process? What might you do? What I would do differently is I probably programmed too difficult music, which is, I think, what everybody does at first, because your last experience was in college. And in college, they tell you, this is the literature list that young bands should play. And it's all very boring renaissance and grade four overtures from the 60s and things that are very, very difficult for young bands to play. So I I know I programmed my first couple of years um, way too hard. And I'll never forget, Charlie Mangini pulled me aside at the first contest I had taken Trauber to. And before I went in that room, Marjean said, Trauber's never gotten anything but a one at contest. And I was like, uh, what, what, you know, what, <laughs> really? That's your advice? So I go in with this horribly hard program, including the real Amparita Roca and like a grade four Sheldon thing and some horribly difficult slow thing that I should have never have played with terrible instrumentation. And they did fine, but Charlie Mangini pulled me aside and he grabbed me by the elbow and he said, hey, that's real music. These are little kids. You got to figure out what you're doing with literature and i was like you know, like okay mr mangini sure mr mangini you know i was very intimidated i was like okay try mangini says get my act together you know picking music so um after those first couple of years i figured it out pretty fast how to program well and honest to god for several years i just stole everything doug Akey did okay he had a list out that i've still got i don't know if it's available anywhere but i have hard copies if anybody wants to look at it um he put out a list of probably, I don't know, 100 pieces, and he described why he liked it and the difficulty and the musicality. And I literally went through as a checklist, and I would pick things off of that list for about five years, and it was beautiful. Everything worked on that list. You know, some of the stuff was too hard for us because his bands had ninth graders in it, and they were phenomenal. He was at Hendrix Junior High at the time. Um, and I was really lucky because... My parents live near where he teaches in Arizona. So when I would have breaks, I'd go out and sit in his rehearsals and bother him. He's like, who is this kid? Um, and he would give me his literature lists and all that. And he was very, you know, recordings of his band, which was tremendously influential. Um, I listened to a tape of his band so much that the tape, I broke the tape hmm. and I actually cried when that happened that I hadn't transferred it to digital before that happened because it was, the most beautiful color and sound I'd ever heard in a young band. And I wanted that just burned into my head as that's what the sound is. Um, so now what I tell kids, and it's funny because in college they tell you, you should study your scores without the influence of outside recordings because you want your own interpretation. Well, my own interpretation is how about some right notes and rhythms? Because <laughs> that goes a long way, you know, and you can't be musical I don't think musicality happens until we get through those nuts and bolts. Come on. We need precision and accuracy is 90% of the contest within the room. Like, what are we trying to get done here with young kids, especially because we have to teach them everything. Um, they're not going to come in, you know, well, I worked on the, the Mozart last night. You know, they, I, they're going to say I had football practice last night, so I didn't take my horn home. So then we have to teach that accuracy and I and I always tell my student teachers and everybody else if you get all the everything that's on the paper if you get the notes and rhythms and maybe some dynamics right with a good tone quality you're going to sound better than most people are going to expect um 
without a question, I mean, that the accuracy and the correctness, it's either right or it's wrong. Unacceptable any other way. Then from there, musical expression and such. So I pick my music um, by listening, listening obsessively. Um, when new stuff comes out, I will listen literally to every single grade one through four that is brand new every single year from every publisher. Mm. And I listen to um, like the Pepper Editor's Choices like like crazy. Um, and I just listen. I don't look at really grade level or scores or description. And I might even be doing like I'll do it in the car a lot or if I'm doing other busy work at home or like even folding laundry or whatever, I'll have it on while I'm doing other things. And when something grabs my attention and I think, oh, something about this is really interesting. I look at what is that? And then I write it down and then I start making lists. So then once I have a bunch of pieces, so maybe, you know, a publisher's stuff will come out and in the grade two, I, I hear two things that were interesting to me. Also, like within 30 seconds, a minute, if something hasn't made me think, oh, this is this is cool. This is interesting. Where is this going? Fast forward. I skip right over it because if it hasn't captured my interest, you know, and we're, we're 30 bars in, some junior high kid is going to think this is Snoozeville. You know, yeah. they're not going to buy into this piece of music. So once I have a list of, you know, substantial pieces, then I usually put together a playlist of just those pieces and I'll listen to them over and over and over. And then I'll start figuring out which ones I really like and which ones I'm sick of. And if I get sick of them within a few hearings, they're off the list. And then I'm narrowed down to maybe five or six new things that I really like. I'm like, something about this is really intriguing. It's really um, unique. Um, the thing I listen for is sort of an authentic level of sound. Um, I actually grew up really loving orchestra music before I loved band music. So to me, it has to have almost that seriousness, that art level that good orchestral music has, where um, it develops. Things are actually have a purpose. Um, the second I hear sort of like that dun-dun-dun-dun skip, you know, <laughs> if I hear anything that sounds like a cliche, I'm done. Um, I've even had pieces that I like the piece, but the title's so corny that I tell the kids it's a different name. <laughs> so that I can bear it, you know, because sometimes I'll be like, oh, this name is killing this piece. And um, so once I get, you know, it narrowed down where I'm like, oh, I really like these pieces. And then I'll pull something from old programs, you know, to kind of patch in. And then I start, um, then I'll order scores or I'll look at the scores online and I'll see, oh, does this match what I thought it was? And sometimes I'll look at something and think it's going to be something for the eighth grade spring concert. And I'll look at it, I'm like, oh, that's a lot easier than I thought. So that could be something for the seventh grade, maybe spring concert instead, or something's much harder. I'm like, oh, I bumped that to the eighth grade. Once I start looking at the scores and um, seeing range, doublings, voicing, and it depends on the time of year too. Early in the year, I want to build music that's um, confidence builders in the kids. I want them to start getting good sound, feel confident, get be able to get through things. So, you know, I'm picking things on the easier side of course for the beginning of the year but thing um things where everybody's playing a lot of 2d playing a lot of block scoring and even within though that that has to have some something that i find interesting in it or something that's original or sounds authentic and then as the year progresses 
I try to get things that are more transparent, more soloistic, um, have more exposed, expressive things. Because by then, the kids have confidence. They're not scared to play in front of each other. They're like, oh, I can do this because we sounded awesome on our last concert. And we, you know, we're, you know, they start a little, little, you know, attitude about like how they can play. So then they, because it's, it's, you know, 99% in your head, your success of mm-hmm. performance. So once they get that confidence and the, that, oh, I can do this, even though it looks scary and hard, we'll break this down. We can do this. Or, and they're not scared to play a solo. They're excited and they're all like, ooh, me, 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 me. You know, where at the beginning of the year, they're more a, a little afraid because they've been off the horn all summer, mostly, you know, in, in reality. Um, but I know a lot of people pick their music by looking at scores first. And I've always listened first because that's the product in my mind. The product's okay. going to be a sound. And if I don't find it interesting, then there's no way I'm going to be able to live with that piece for six to eight weeks and convince a child that it's worth their time and energy and effort to make it as beautiful as possible if it's not worthy of it. Sure. So that's so. a pretty involved process. How long does that take about just listening to the recordings? Well, I started picking music for next year on the first day of summer okay. this year, but I keep my lists all the time. But so, okay, so I'll have a list of music and then I'll get a score for something and it doesn't fit this band or this year. So I tuck that score or that list away. And I have like different notebooks. I find them everywhere on the back of like napkins. And I'll be like, oh, I remember when I made this list. I pulled the notebook out the other day that I have all these old lists in. I pulled one out from probably 10 years ago. And I had crossed off the things I'd played that year. And there's two or three things that I didn't program. And I thought, oh, I'll go back and revisit those. So I always have things that, and then you forget because it, it came out two years ago, nobody played it. So then I'll go back and re-listen and maybe pull that out. But I work on it all summer for sure. Um, but to me, it's really fun. That's my entertainment. I mean, it's fun to me. This is the best part of the job sure. is picking music. So I worked on it all summer and I like making that playlist because then when I'm out walking or exercising or doing other things at home, I can be listening and deciding, is this something I really love or is this something that I thought I liked in a moment of weakness sure, or sure. sometimes I'll like something because the 10 things I listened to before it were terrible. Okay. So then it sounds so much better. So then going back and I also then start putting together, I'll listen to like these four pieces together. Would that make a good set? Um, Cause I kind of think of each concert as a set list and that's probably the influence of my husband who's yeah, <laughs> a yeah. freelancer. The set list has to make sense, you know, um, so there's a, a an arc in the concert performance. And so something, you know, do these pieces really fit together or is it too much of the same thing? That kind of thing. Now, with my sixth graders, much less artistic process. You know, they're brand new beginners. So I'll, I'm not embarrassed to say, but I'll say it. I pick the beginner music off of smart music. Okay. I go through and I listen and find the best things I can find in their like very easy or beginner level stuff because... For the brand new sixth graders to have that tool, they all have a smart music subscription, to have that tool for them to learn their parts helps them so much and it gets them excited about playing full band music. So for the sixth grade, I pretty much pick things that are loaded into smart music because there's enough in there that I can, you know, that music is building confidence, building understanding of the ensemble, um, building rhythmic concepts, tone quality, balance, blend, you know, all the concepts, but at a very fundamental level. 
And then I feel like I'm about half and half with my seventh grade. You know, I'm still thinking of what I would consider building music with what I would consider art music. And then by eighth grade, we still do a lot of fundamental work outside the literature, but I feel like I'm picking music at that point that's uh, for its artistic value. Sure. So. Great. That's, yeah, that's a pretty involved process. <laughs> but th- th- I, I think that's great for people yeah. to hear that, you know, it, it, I think one, it's the I think it's the most important decision. Yeah. It's the most important thing I do in my job, besides my relationship with the kids, sure. is the literature because that's your curriculum. And if you're having, you know, problems in your band with kids being a, like behaving or effort, put a p- put Star Wars in front of them. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, they want to play that music. Yeah, yeah. You know, so if you find things that they find intriguing, or and, you know, and they're not going to be excited about everything initially, but I want to pick music that after we study it, they'll go, you know what, that piece is cool. You know, after like a Nelly Bill or something. At first, they're like, oh, this is weird. I don't like this. But then when we talk about it, tear it apart, study it. Why is he doing this here? What is that theme? Who has it here? Then they start thinking, oh, this music's this is like serious music. Yeah, and yeah. and um, and I think that's a big reason I don't have a lot of behavior problems. I do have a lot of buy-in from my kids, especially the eighth graders. By that time, they know what the deal is. Um, they commit to it because I'm very careful of only giving them things that are worthy of their their time so no but like i said that's a really cool process Mm -hmm. to hear especially with you know the resources we have now today Mm -hmm. as music teachers where Mm -hmm. um you know if you're a practicing band director right now at least second semester once a week i'm getting a cd in the Mm -hmm. mail from the Mm -hmm. publishers Uh, you could spend hours on jwpepper.com oh, yeah. and just play recordings constantly Absolutely. youtube things like that one year i tried to go through every recording in smart music at like the very easy level and just to make a start making a list of what's good and what's not in there so i could kind of have a master list and i got through probably a couple hundred pieces i was like i'm done yeah i cannot yeah. do this anymore i'm just gonna have to play it by you know i'm just gonna have to you know shoot fish in a barrel when i do the smart sure. music pieces because i'll just pick as i go but um i was committed to like i'm gonna know this literature but i mean if somebody that that's probably the biggest thing i see is when i have student teachers or people that are younger if they don't know the literature I don't know how they're ever going to have a good band. Sure. Cuz it's it's everything. It's I mean, we're at the mercy of that composer once. Now, I will say, here's something I learned from Mr. Liga. I know he took the liberty to rewrite and sometimes rescore or double things and I remember hearing that when I was still in college that he would do that and he would do sometimes unusual doublings if he felt musically it would help. And so I always thought, well, if Ted Liga can adjust and edit parts well, little hillbilly Rachel Maxwell can do it over here at my little mm-hmm. school. Like I'm thinking, Mr. Liga thinks it's okay. I think it's okay, you know. So I do edit my music, okay, quite a bit, quite a bit. Like I'm not afraid to say, you know, we're going to put a downbeat on that measure, or, um, like you know, and my student teachers are minds are blown. Sure. Like you can change it. I'm like, you think Robert W. Smith's going to come in here and be mad? I added a quarter note to some downbeat. I'm like, really? He's just you know laughing on a pile of money. He's not <laughs> carrying what I'm doing to this music. And if it helps us learn this piece, and then maybe we'll take that thing out, or maybe it worked better. Or last year, um, we played a piece that had a trumpet solo that, you know, went above the staff. And I had trumpet players that could play it, but when you played it in the French horn range, it was right in the middle of their range, and I had a really strong horn section. So I thought, you know what, I'm just going to I'm gonna have the horn try that, you guys, because it's in such a good range for her, and she's such a good player. So we just rewrote it, or... 
Um, we, a couple of years ago, we played this cool piece, La Tragenda, at, um, down at Allstate. And lots of people came up and they're like, I want to play that piece. I want to play that piece. And I said, um, just so you know, there's no snare part on that. I said, I gave the snare player the trumpet part, the first trumpet part. And I said, play the first trumpet part on snare drum. And anytime there's a long note, just do a roll. Hmm. And just, but if you don't have that part, it's a much harder piece than if you do with a young band because sure. they need that rhythmic stability and drive. And so, so I, I do things like that a yeah. lot. I'm sure, you know, cause mm-hmm. I, cause I heard that being a Mr. Liga student. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I remember, I think I was a first year teacher and I had this thing in my mind of like, Oh, the copyright police are going <laughs> to crash through my window. <laughs> right. Right. Arrest me and stuff. The integrity and, of yeah, the music, <laughs> the integrity of, you know, and it's like, well, listen to the band. There's the real integrity of the music issue. Right. Right. You know, and, and I remember just again having that issue for a bit, and, and I'm sure there are some. Like I, I'm not claiming to be a copyright expert or lawyer or right. anything. You know, I'm, I'm sure we all should be a little better with that in the band right. world. But you know, I, I I remember hearing that from him, and he's like, the other option is you just don't play that piece. You have to play right. something else, and you got to remember that that piece is not written for your band. Um, with a lot of the stuff we have in the library mm-hmm, here, mm-hmm. like some of that stuff's not even written for a modern band. Oh, you know? the instrumentation you know? is wouldn't even work yeah. for some of the yeah. If you're um, if you're in a program somewhere, you don't have an English horn, and there's an English horn solo written, but the rest of your kids are at the level of that. Absolutely, piece. Like you just you just have to or, make some of those choices. Well, and all of a sudden, I had this epiphany last year. I had uh, two years ago, I had a, a, a somewhat weak trombone section. Or I guess it was last year. And this weirdly large and good baritone section in eighth grade. And I was all of a sudden I was like, uh, those baritone players can play trombone parts. And for some reason, sure. my brain had never thought that. Duh. I mean, and it solved everything. I moved one baritone to a first trombone, one to a second trombone. And now it has a little bit different sound, of course. But what it provides, then the kids have a leader next to them. And then the trombone player plays better because they're playing next to a kid that's a little bit more secure and outgoing and a little more confident. So then... All the trombones play better because they have some leadership then. And yeah. for some reason, I had never, you know, duh, um, or just having, you know, your tenor sax double your baritone parts when they if they're scared of something sure. or put them next to each other. You know, so I every single concert, there's something that I've added something to or rewritten or we're taking this out or we're changing it or, sure, or something. Sure. But I mean, I'm not doing it to like Mislanka symphonies, but I think it keeps the integrity of the piece and we're not affecting mm-hmm. the overall, you know, effect, yeah, musical not, effect or anything like that. You're not doing an arrangement no, or an addition no, no. of it. It's like, I don't even know where to begin. There's a little bit of <laughs> right, where right. we're adjusting. So, and it's usually so. for rhythmic stability yeah, most yeah. of the time. No, oh, that's so. great advice. Um, have you personally ever encountered any roadblocks in your career that you can think of? Um Besides running my mouth. <laughs> yeah, I, I had a thing up on my Facebook say, so I've got a great heart, but this mouth. Um, <laughs> I, you know, I don't have a lot of filter. So, you know, it is what it is. And I know I've been very lucky. I mean, this, the path I've taken has been a very direct one way. This is what I want to do. And... Um, I haven't had to change jobs. I haven't had to, you know, it's just been like every year I get a little closer to my vision of what I want to be and what I want the kids to experience and what I want to provide for them. But it's interesting, just in the last couple of years, I've had more 
women directors, you know, starting women band director groups or talking to me or I've gone to a couple of clinics and it seems that a lot of women experience roadblocks as women directors and I have never that's never even crossed my mind. Okay. And I and I was thinking about it. I had a female female horn teachers all the way through uh high school in the first part of college. Uh, I had a female orchestra director in junior high and in high school. Um I was always around really competent like when I marched core I was with surrounded by all these girls, young women who have gone on to be extremely successful band directors who were very, very just strong, um, respected. So even in core, which is a male dominated activity back in the eighties, especially, um, it was kind of like, if you made it this far, you're one of us mm. kind of thing. Um, now we've always joked about the old boys club, but that's, you know, the, um, the turtlenecks and camel jackets, club you know yeah, yeah. at midwest smoking their pipes and talking about literature oh, yeah right right <laughs> and but so that existed i know that existed and i know it exists a bit more in the college and it's mostly i think in the upper high school and college levels that i think people are experiencing that but i mean for women i think it's the best it's ever been because look there's all these women that are getting these athletic uh band jobs at colleges um becoming head directors at college programs and for girls to see that it shouldn't even cross a girl's mind that it's a boy or a girl job, just like instruments. They don't come in pink and blue. Sure. sure. You know, and so, and then of course having Marjean as my mentor, I just, uh, Dr. Deb Sheldon, um, she has a married name now. Deb Sheldon, uh, was my mentor in college and she was very smart, strong lady. And she was my supervisor for student teaching. You know, so I was really lucky. Just, I had all these models, and was treated just like anybody else. So it, you know, when people come up and say, oh, being a, a woman has been, you know, such a fight. I, it's not a fight I've ever had to have, thankfully. So, I mean, my own problems have been based on my own personality <laughs> or my own inability to, you know, um, to let somebody tell me no. Okay. Or, you know, um because I I get along with my administration as I wince a little bit, as long as they're making decisions that are in the best interest of student growth. <laughs> and yeah. I, 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 I use that a lot. You know, if they try to slip into the, oh, that schedule won't work. I'm like, really? A schedule is driving best practice in this building? And they kind of look at me like, oh, you're a pain. You know, so yeah. I'm a little bit of a pain like that. And I'm I'm pretty sure... I've been passed over for some things by my administration and stuff because I'm sure they think, oh, Maxwell does not need any more attention. Okay. <laughs> we don't, you know, kind of thing. But I always think, well, I'm nobody's going to represent and stand up for the kids or our program besides me. So, yeah, yeah. you know, so I'll, I'll, I'll throw myself out there and, you know. I've I've been there long enough that like I'm the old timer now. Okay. You know, back in my day when you we, don't you don't look. Oh, I appreciate you saying that again, but, um, but I've been, I've been really, you know, the pushbacks I've gotten are just the pushbacks that band and fine arts have gotten in general. Sure. You know. So let's bring some attention. You've got a new project going on right now. Can you tell us about that? All right. Well, I started a new, um, blog website. It's called the band room 
And the website is actually thebandroomspage.com because okay. every variation of the band room was taken and the suggestions they were giving me were like mega death band room rock and roll forever yeah, or something. Or, you know, horse things, names. Yeah, all right. So, or like horse names. And um, so what it is basically is I have all of these resources on my regular Trauber band website. And I decided, you know what? I should package this so it's more accessible to adults. And I was talking to... A friend of mine, I said, well, I'm putting all the adult material on its own site. And then I, I was texting her, I laughed. I said, ha, huh, adult material, you know, like, <laughs> like adult material on the band website, you know. So, but what it is, is um, I already have a lot of stuff written and ready. And then I have a lot of ideas, obviously, floating in my head as well. But the opening page is a blog and it's, it's based on practicality. Okay. Like, what can you take and do in your band room tomorrow? Because, you know, a few of them will be philosophical and dreamy and all that. Um, everybody has their own drive. But I think people want to know, hey, I need two or three things I can do tomorrow to help discipline in my room. Or I need, I have a parent on my back about switching instruments. What are some things I could tell them to, mm -hmm. so we come to a decision? So I open this up. So the front page is a blog. I've also got a page with any presentations I've done. And the full presentations are there. Um, like the slideshow. Um, the handouts, notes. Um, I did one at Midwest a few years ago on starting young horn players and had my horns play at that. And if you have horn players, that one's really helpful because it's okay. step by step on here is where you should really put the mouthpiece. Here's how you want them to breathe. Put the leg here. And it seems so fundamental, but I had so many directors come up and say, no one's ever explained it like that where I yeah. can show my kids. And um, I've got a a huge one on there about the Danielson framework and um, Jessica Shields and I, who was my partner up until last year in teaching, she's at a school in our, another school in our district. Now we went through and put a sample that applies to being a band director, um, a sample under every single sub point, every domain of Danielson at the mastery level. Um, Here's an example that of an artifact that you could provide okay. to demonstrate mastery. And we have samples for every single point. So when the directors are getting you know, upset or stressed, like, I don't have anything to show this. Sure, sure. We have several examples of this kind of thing would demonstrate that, this would, that you already do most of the time. And some of it's just tweaking or like um, focusing what you're already doing or putting it in writing. But, you know, especially for young people who might feel overwhelmed with the, yeah, the Danielson yeah. framework, we did that. Um, there's some Vandercook things I did on there about middle school and beginning band. So those presentations are all on there. And then I also put um, recommended literature list. And it's not sorted very well. It's just alphabetical. Sure. I didn't do it by grade or anything. But what I did is went through. I have a complete list of everything we've ever programmed. And I just went through and pulled all the ones that I thought, oh, yeah, I would do that again. That yeah. one worked. So it's mostly things that work cool. kind of thing. So uh, I will be adding to it pretty regularly because I have a ton of material on my regular band site and I'm just moving it over and putting it into um, teacher-friendly mm -hmm. setup and that kind of thing. And it's on Facebook too, same thing, the band right, room right. or the band rooms page. Well, that's cool. This, um, this profession, it's a great profession, mm -hmm. but it can be a lonely profession sometimes mm -hmm. depending on where you're at or if you're, even if you're where I'm at, it's a big school, but I'm the only but band by director yourself. here. Yeah. Um, 
So, you know, I think about my first few years teaching or even today, you know, looking for those resources and finding them, you know, and it's also it's a pretty competitive Mm-hmm. Um, uh, uh, career. What do I want to say? Not career. A, a pretty competitive culture with yes, band directors, yes. I know. But at the same time, there's a lot of people like you that are putting these things out there because ultimately you want kids everywhere to have a good band experience. Well, it, it drives me crazy when they're not having an experience. I'm like, yeah. why should somebody, just because of where they go to school, have a terrible band yeah, versus, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, and the other thing is, I'm still going to clinics and you know, writing. Um, last week, I went to the Music for All camp for two days to just watch rehearsals. Sure, sure. And I left with pages of notes that I took from Chris Gleason um, in Ars Golden's rehearsals. I just wrote down things they said that caught my ear. I'm like, oh, that's such a good way to say that. Or, And I think people kind of stop doing that once they get into their job. They think, well, now I've got the job. But I've done that. I think that when I said before, you know, about five years ago, I started doing this more, starting to go and observe people and watch rehearsals and write down everything I was hearing that I thought was effective, um, taking their programs and just pouring over. What are they playing? Um, most people, if they're really good, are very generous. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's the people who aren't quite there, <laughs> who are still competitive. Because <laughs> um, I, I, I'm very, very competitive with myself. Sure. And, you know, I do like kind of the snarky thing, like, what? That band's playing what? What? Our, my band could play that, you know. Yeah, we all yeah. do that a little bit, of course. But it it fires me up. It makes me want to be better when I hear other middle school bands play really well, or play a little bit harder literature, or play something a little more sophisticated. I get almost like a like a buzzy feeling, like that's my next goal. Yeah, my, yeah. That's oh, if that's if that's possible, then why isn't that possible in my room? Yeah. So somebody, it's possible for them. Well, what do I have to do to make it? reality for my kids too it's kind of the well fantastic um all right so let's end let's this has been pretty dense we've had some good you know i mean seriously there's been great advice and things that i wrote down never beg a kid to be in band um you know the the recording uh process what you listen to with it confidence builders uh your website some great things evolution not revolution before i say that though i have one i have two things i that i always tell younger teachers and actually some older teachers too. Sure, um, sure. And Jim Stombres, he, and very few people know this, after he left Naperville North, he did middle school for a year. Yeah. And he was pretty stressed out. And he'll be the first to admit that. And he came over, he's like, we gotta, we gotta talk. I gotta see what you got. And I told him a couple of things that he said completely shifted his mind and um, were really effective for him, who was a veteran teacher, but he just didn't think that way. One is actually teach the band that is sitting in front of you. If you say the words, they should, dot, 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 or, well, they don't, dot, 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 who cares? I would say, well, they should, but they're not. So stop living in the band that's in your mind. <laughs> you know, it's like, well, these kids need to, you know, I hear people complain, my kids don't practice, my kids are so lazy in rehearsal, my kids, whatever. It goes back to the podium. Okay. It, it, it has to. Um, the joke is, you know, how do you fix a band? You open it up and there's a mirror inside the book. Um, teach the band that's actually in front of you and then take that band where they are to the next step an inch at a time. Because if if they're disappointing you in some way, if they're frustrating you in some way, something's been missed. 
they need something reinforced. They need something, um, they need to be supported in a different way than what they have been because it's not sticking. Um, and then I also told him, and I know a lot of people disagree with this because they want their kids practicing outside of band. I said, but if you plan your rehearsals such that you assume no one practices anything and you break down and give enough time for learning and enough time for then the expression of it, yeah. you'll, you'll stop being upset in rehearsal. Because yeah. he said, I get so frustrated. Nobody, you know, they, they don't practice things. Where he'd come off having the, a Midwest level top band they called it the ferrari you know yeah, the yeah. top band at north to you know a normal junior high kid who's you know marginally interested in band it's something they take whatever i said approach your rehearsals as if no one's taking their horn home then if they do it's kind of a bonus yeah, yeah. but if they don't you're going to be so well prepared for that rehearsal and you're going to know when you hit those roadblocks of where kids are, didn't work on something you're going to have a plan on how you're going to fix that sure because you have I don't want to say you got to teach to the lowest denominator, but you got to bring those kids in too. Yeah, yeah. And so he said, once he started doing those two things, he started enjoying mm -hmm. the younger kids or the second bands more because his expectations shifted to where they were from where in your mind you have this fantasy band built up. Yeah. And, and I think that's very frustrating for a lot of people. Well, and as band directors, we are control freaks uh, a lot yes, about this. Yes, yes. <laughs> and, uh, but yeah, that's true. And, and for anybody out there that has some of those situations, you know, our situation here, we, I think we've got about 20, 25 kids in my band that live in apartments mm -hmm. that can't practice at home. Exactly. Yeah. And, and you just, you just look at those 20, 25 kids. How are like, they going to learn the music? Yeah. How are they going to learn their music? Well, we need to be architects of that. Exactly. That time Make a that plan. They're in here. Yeah. Make a plan <laughs> so. because I mean we are teachers, so we, you know, if the kids are doing it all on their own and we're just putting it together, uh, that's a little bit elitist in my brain. Yeah. So. And I know like, a lot of people won't like to hear this, but I I know at least at our school the band kids they take other classes too. They take English. Mm -hmm. They take math. <laughs> and they need to be and, good at everything. You know, they AP need to do well. Classes, yes. You know, so when, when we do, and I don't think it's a low standard thing necessarily, no. but when you look at that thing of like, okay, you got to be practicing a half hour a day, this and that, it's, I, I just don't see it as possible for most. Right. You're going to have 10% or so who are really driven, who yeah. are in with the private lessons. Um, you know, since the recession, our private lesson numbers just dissipated we used yeah. to have tons of kids taking lessons now maybe 15 percent 20 percent it just never it, it just hasn't recovered because it's it's not the norm now because of money issues sure um but i yeah you just have to plan like how am i going to make this a viable and worthwhile experience for the kid who has other things going on in their life and well you're a parent as soon as I had kids and then I've had a kid go through high school band program and there's been times when, you know, as the band director's kid, we're like, you haven't taken your horn out of the case all week. Yeah. And if I'm the band director and I can't get my kids not practicing, then how do I expect somebody who's oh, yeah. marginally yeah. supporting it or doesn't know anything about it or, you know, that kind of thing to push their kids? Yeah. It's it, it, it's yeah, not not a fight I fight. We so. bought my son a guitar for his birthday. Mm -hmm. He turned six, this Fender Mini Strat. Nice. <laughs> little amp. And uh, his birthday was June 3rd, and I think he's played it twice since then. And and the problem at my house is that <laughs> my poor wife, she's the disciplinarian, and I'm fun dad. Oh, boy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I'm like, you need to go practice. Well, I want to do this instead. 
oh, that's okay. That's fine. Right. Buy right. Ice cream afterwards. And it's right. just a or, constant glare. Or, or we're done, you know, or we get, we do everything by the time homework's done. Yeah. We eat dinner and then, you know, we're all tired. Um, but it is funny because Sean, my husband is a very, um, disciplined practicer. Mm-hmm. So we've actually gotten better because Ava plays saxophone as well. So we have her horn set up. All the time now next to his gear. Okay. So when he's in the middle of his playing, he'll be like, all right, you go practice and then we'll do a, a little, like a little lesson yeah, afterwards. Yeah. So that's, that's been helpful. But in a normal setting where that's not happening, these kids have other things. They, they work. Yeah. I yeah. mean, some kids are helping their families, like bringing their paycheck and giving it to their families. They so- work. Um over over here, I've got kids in the band that share instruments. Yes. They, they can't leave the yes. room. You know, so so right there, that kid is eliminated from practicing unless they rent their own, which sometimes isn't happening. Right. You know, and you, know, and you can feel, you can either complain about it, yeah, or yeah. you can fix it. Yeah. And I I I do not I like griping, you know, like sure, for fun, sure. like oh, you know, just for ridiculousness. But for real problems, it's I I just can't wrap my head around the yeah. the gripe fest thing. It feels good in a. a small setting right, right. You know, let it out a little bit, but it's like junk food right right it's good bit. for a little bit and after that it's like okay let's talk about some, yeah. yeah let's one, talk about happy things one twinkie a month is enough <laughs> exactly so, well great so let's let me ask you this question and it's a like i said kind of a softball question who do you want to meet they can be a band person it can be a non-band person but who who would you want to meet that you think might be influential in your career, might be helpful, somebody you admired? Well, besides Duran Duran. Okay. <laughs> that's the dream from <laughs> Child of the 80s. I mean, that's the, that's the ultimate. But um, it's not necessarily a person, but there's programs that I really um, admire. Um, I, I had been this like fangirl of the Louisville school district down in Texas okay. for years because for years they've had a group play at Midwest year after year after year after year and I would look at their programs and their websites and sit in the front row of their concert clutching my program to my heart and I, I how how is this happening so um this last March uh, a small group of us met down there from all over the country some online friends and we did a three-day site visit. And it was like meeting my movie stars to yeah. me. Uh, just picking their brains, sitting in rehearsals, taking notes, seeing their materials. And all of them were very open, talked to, answered all sorts of questions. Um, that's sort of the thing I'm, to me, those are like my heroes, my rock stars. So I'd probably say um, I'd want to visit the programs maybe out in Cobb County and I think there's a, a cluster in Austin that we want to go see. And then the other one is I'd love to get into a rehearsal and watch and spend some time watching the Marine Band. Okay. When I see the Marine Band, I have a physical reaction. Like, I usually just start crying, okay. <laughs> you know? And it's just, it's so emotional to me because it's like living history at this at the highest possible level of artistry. And it's just, I in my mind, the finest level of what we do and and the best of what we do and so when i see that and knowing the connection to our origins and our our foundation as bands i always get extremely emotional when i see them so um 
a friend of mine had gone out to DC and had a chance to go into a rehearsal and spend some time. And when I was hearing that story, I thought that would be the ultimate is to go just be a fly on the wall with yeah. them and see and listen. So great. Yeah. Well, Rachel, I appreciate you coming out today <laughs> and, uh, your daughter Ava was here as well, which uh, man, she had some great faces when you were <laughs> when you were talking about some things here. My so. fan club. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much. So, I appreciate your time. Absolutely. Okay, thank you. Thank you.